Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons podcast. My name is Michael McGraw and I'm here with Michael Shutt and today is Sunday, March 12th, which is Selection Sunday. The brackets are out and we are going to be breaking everything down. But first, let's all just give a very quick, slow, methodical round of applause for Duke, the ACC tournament champions. Congrats. Yeah, hard fought. I mean, this is what we saw coming, right? Duke was going to peak at the right time. It, It felt that way. It felt inevitable through the whole season. They are kind of the Thanos of the ACC this year. Just, you know, it, it just was a matter of when they were going to put it all together and and figure it out, get healthy, get those young players going, get Shire settled in as a coach. Like, it's scary. They're, they're firing on all cylinders right now. And I kind of left last night's game thinking that no matter what we saw in the bracket today, they'd be underseated based on how good they really are right now. Right, because you have to think of the whole season's resume, and that's just not going to capture who they are currently, which is probably one seed material, but they're obviously not getting that. The thing that they had frequently out of Duke's camp shared was that they were 17-1 and going into the game yesterday with their full complement of players. Mm-hmm. And so now you see why. They, yeah. they have everybody available, everybody's healthy, those five-star recruits that all signed with Duke turned out to be pretty good. Kyle Filipowski had a monster game. Jeremy Roach provided that experience in a big game situation and made outside shots. Everybody else didn't do as much, but really just played in a role situation around those. You have somebody like Lively defending the rim, and the length of Duke really gave Virginia a lot of problems. The switchability throughout the roster on a lot of ball screens gave Virginia problems, which we've seen it a couple of times during the year, particularly against Houston and uh, some of the other teams they played earlier in the season. So they're a dangerous team. Hats off to how they looked. I do think that they're, I, I've seen a lot of people who are declaring karmic justice for the game earlier in the season where UVA won on the controversial foul that was overturned. I don't really believe in that. I think Duke's just a really good team, and Virginia didn't shoot the ball very well. Well, and fine, I guess the to me that's a that's a fans gonna fan moment, right? Like you're gonna claim this thing where as like the whole what I love about it is when that happened and Duke fans were still like up in arms about that call. The the response from mostly everybody else was just like, yeah, man, like we all get screwed from time to time, and it feels like over the years Duke has benefited more than more than not. I also think, like, I mean, in that ACC championship game, like, there was a play late where Ryan Dunn had, like, gathered a rebound on the baseline, got pushed out of bounds, and there wasn't a foul called there. And fine. Like, I looked at that and was like, yeah, that sucks. I think there probably should have been a foul. But I also get swallowing the whistle in that moment in the game. Like, it just kind of happens. It wasn't as controversial as the ending of the Duke UVA regular season game, but... It's this stuff happens, right? There's always officiating stuff that you can look at and say, like, yeah, this sucks, but I don't think it's any sort of karmic thing. I think it's just that Duke has a unique combination of five-star talent that is willing to take roles. So Derek Lively is willing to say, all right, cool, I'm a rim protector, 
who's going to finish some lobs and some things like that. Derek Whitehead, I'm going to shoot. Tyrese Proctor, I'm going to create from time to time. And they're all going to be capable defenders. I mean, even Filipowski was a better defender last night than I think I give him credit for. That length is tough for UVA. I mean, Kihei's going to drive into traffic and, like, you know, he, he has a hard time finishing with all that length in there. And that, that's that's going to be one of the ultimate limiting factors for UVA. Yeah, I'm impressed with Duke, and, and I think they're positioned to, to make some noise here. From a Virginia perspective, it was disappointing and frustrating to see them struggle to score. Yeah. But I thought they still played well enough to win. Like, they were in situations where they could have gotten it down to four points, three points late in the game. Kihei really struggled with the size, like you mentioned. You know, did not seem comfortable shooting the ball, and he, you know, he didn't make a basket until the last couple minutes of the game. Jaden Gardner did not shoot with as much confidence or efficiency during the game. Uh, he was the only three of nine shooting, and I think his lack of size definitely played a factor in that. And this is one of those games that yeah, I think as much as playing the roster where Shedrick is getting more playing time, Cafro's getting more playing time, Ryan Dunn's getting more playing time, that helped UVA in their games against UNC and Clemson in mm-hmm. particular. But missing Ben Vanderplas really in this game, not having a four that was at least a threat to shoot and stretch that yeah. defense out a little bit, allowed Duke to really pack things in, crowd the lane, and UVA did not have an answer inside the paint. Yeah. So and so with him being gone, I think that's a major question mark for UVA. Even though like fans have been critical of him all year, he hasn't shot the ball well. But this is one of those games where I think you really could have used his versatility, particularly mm-hmm. on defense. Well, I think the the criticism of him is totally warranted, and he's not consistent, and totally understand that. But yeah, you just that team needed shooting yesterday, especially in that stretch position. You know, if if Ryan Dunn were a slightly better shooter, or like you know, if you just had something more of a threat to create more space, it felt like. UVA did everything they needed to do to be competitive in that game in terms of keeping the score down, keeping it in a winnable range, and it was just a matter of not being able to make shots at the rate that you needed to, right? I mean, you got to have somebody who's able to step up and make those, and, and you're right. I think that having Vanderplas to create more space for other people sometimes is is really what the net benefit is. It's not even always him taking shots. It's just him out there as a threat to take shots, creates more space, which is generally good for slashers like Reese Beekman and Kihei driving to create for other people. So, yeah, that was tough. But, you know, it's it was a, a valiant effort. And I think then now you've got some time to figure out what does strategy and game plan look like without Vanderplas in the tournament. You know, there wasn't really time. They had to put this together kind of on the fly. I mean, he got, he got hurt down there, right? right. Yeah, so, was, like, yeah, the day before the UNC game. Right, so you just don't really, like, you didn't have time to put together much of a plan necessarily, whereas now they've got a few days to figure out, you know, you're going to get your you got your opponent now and figuring out who, you know, how you're going to game plan for them and, and then what that run would look like and how to how to plan for that. So I'm not, I'm not too, too worried about them. It definitely hurts to, to lose him. Yeah, I think... I have generally seen a couple of reactions from UVA fans. One is to just say, like, thinking ahead, generally this is where I lean more often in my brain. Two weeks ago, it looked like the season was absolutely tanking. They were playing really poorly. They got blown out by North Carolina. They got blown out by Boston College. The offense couldn't score. They've righted the ship. 
Is it good enough to make a deep run into the tournament? I don't know. It may not be, especially with Vanderplas out. But in terms of just being competitive and winning any individual game, they can beat anybody now if they play the way that they did the first two days of the tournament. So I'm a little bit more encouraged. I've also seen people who are like, hey, the tournament, hey, who cares? It's the NCAA tournament's the only one that matters. I don't know, man. I like I like hanging banners. Yeah. I like hanging banners. It's really cool. It was cool in 2014 when they won the ACC tournament for the first time in 40 years, I guess. I really wanted that banner, so it stings. It's okay for something to sting, and even if you can tip your hat and say, good job, Duke. Well, and I think on the flip side of that, like watching that game last night, it felt like the Duke celebration and the lauding of, of John Shire and all that felt like I was kind of like, all right, like this isn't it, though. Like you got bigger goals i would think right and and i don't know that that means that they where they are mentally and i hate to like make guesses at that but it is just so interesting in a sport like this isn't the pros and there is so much more in college sports there's so much more like thinking about different factors about like is does this team feel too much like they've made it right by winning this like did this feel like the thing that they were going for or do they have that jobs not finished mentality, which is, you know, I'm not saying either way. It's just something that's interesting to watch. Whereas I think Virginia, because you have the veteran leadership of somebody like Kihei Clark, who's been there before, right? He understands what the what their eyes are really set on uh, moving forward. And even like a team like Houston that has veteran leadership and, you know, Kansas, even though they lost a lot of their players from last year, it's still like they they just won it last year. So So they know what's really at stake here and UCLA I'm just thinking like there's teams around the country that have that veteran leadership that like maybe Duke was a little too focused on winning eight there's there's probably a middle ground in there whereas like I wouldn't side with some of those Virginia fans who are just like oh whatever this doesn't matter at all it obviously does as a fan of a team that like hasn't been able to do that in a long time like it, it matters but you know I do understand the like yeah but at the end of the day, you know, if you if you had to pick and choose, like you either get an ACC championship or an NCAA championship, obviously we know which one you're picking. <laughs> right. Yeah, the one thing from Duke that annoyed me. Dude, this, this version of Duke actually hasn't annoyed me very much because they, I think, have some decently likable players. John Shire is a good young coach. I actually think he's pretty decent with X's and O's, tactical decisions in-game. Mm-hmm. And has gotten better as the year has gone. And gotten better understanding his roster. The fact that they posted on the official Duke men's basketball Twitter the thing about, like, oh, we had a great first season under Shire, and we were uh, one, this matter is closed away from, you know, being co-ACC champions. Like, come on, man. You're Duke. You got bigger fish to fry than posting some petty stuff like that about what the league is doing. Yeah, but that's just a, that's a social media person whose job it is to create buzz. Like, buzz? it's just, I, I don't know. It I, just seems whiny. It's not come like on, John man. Shire posted that. We don't know. Maybe he did. <laughs> Maybe he did. And he's he's, he's a, a young guy. He, meme lord John he pro- Shire. He probably is with the the social media. Yeah, I like, just you know those those social media guys like. The job is to get people talking, and so like, mission accomplished. I don't know. I don't put too much weight into that. I don't it was know. annoying. I, this is the first time sure. this year I was just like, okay, that's annoying. But mission accomplished. You're talking about it. Okay. 
we'll move on. I'm Talk- just saying, I think it's like, I wouldn't tie that to the identity of the team. Like, Speaking of annoying, yeah. two coaches out in the ACC yeah. since we last recorded. Jim Beheim and Joss Passner, two, our two favorite coaches in the ACC. Yeah. Both yeah. gone. And both being gone will have a similar impact. <laughs> <laughs> two legends. Yeah, I mean... I, I, Pastner, not terribly surprising, right? Like, kind of knew that he would have to have some success to hold on. I'm a little surprised. We talked about this before, but you and you were correct in thinking that he was going to get pushed out. I thought he might get one more year just because of the way that the season had gone. They they definitely looked much better, but... I think if he had done anything, if they had done anything in the ACC tournament, maybe. It just, it felt like with a new AD and everything, it just felt like a time to make a change. And good riddance. Like, I don't know who they're going to go get, but it can't be worse than face shield Passner. And I just like that guy. That guy sucks. He's like probably my but least the, favorite. But the coach. amoeba zone. Yeah. The amoeba right. zone. Who will run? Who will hold up laminated sheets of paper <laughs> indicating where. Uh, I will. I'm going to go to Georgia Tech games. And, two. And hold, just, we're playing two now. Yeah. I'll do that. I'll fill the Passner gap there. Yeah, I mean, like, whatever, you know, we hardly knew you, Josh Pastner. Like, isn't it weird he just won an ACC tournament championship a couple years ago? Right, that's, well, I mean, that's why I thought maybe he would get one more year, right? Yeah, but I think that that staff understands that, or, like, that athletic department understands that it's kind of fluky. That, like, that's not really a, like, long-term type accomplishment for him. It's just, like... You had a good weekend with Alvarado, Jose Alvarado. Jose Alvarado and uh, Moses Wright, I think, was the big. Like, you know, you just kind of, it came together for them, but it's not something that was some indicator that, like, he would be able to lead that team into some promised land. So, probably the bigger story, if we can just move on from Pastor. Jimmy B. Jimmy Bayheim. Is out. What an odd way for that in 47 years to end. 47 years, and then it, the way it ends with this, like, is he retiring? Is he being pushed out? My favorite moment was after after they lost to Wake in the tournament. And this exchange that has been uh, talked about a ton. He said in his press conference, I've been lucky to coach this long. I think you missed it. I gave my retirement speech on the court last Saturday, and I gave it in the press conference afterwards, and nobody picked up on it. Was he doing an escape room? Like, they, <laughs> right. Just a clue that none of us got? Like, come on, man. So the, the question they after, as uh, a reporter from Syracuse.com, Donna Daitota, asked, are you saying you're going to retire? Beheim, this is up to the university. You want to come back? Daitota asked. Beheim, I didn't say that. Daitota, so what are you saying? Beheim, I just said it. I don't know. Daitota, so you don't know? For clarification... And he says, I said this is up to the university. To which she asks, how will you make a determination about when you will come back? And he responds, you're talking to the wrong guy. So this is the thing that's like, I think everyone who heard about, who saw this exchange was confused. But like, this is what makes it seem that this is not totally his choice. That he's being being pushed out. Yeah, I mean, from the reporting that's come out about it, it seems like they had prepped for a possible decision and then really rapidly closed in on that decision. And I think this is now me editorializing. I think they probably came to him and said, hey, we're looking to go in another direction. Can we get you to walk away? And Beheim 
and his prickly old self, stubborn as always, just said, no, you're going to have to push me out or you're going to have to make the move yourself. I'm not doing it for you. Yeah. I've been here 47 years. I've given my career to you. And then it was funny because then they had the Autry press conference. They were just ready. Yeah. And uh, Bayheim was like, oh, I'm thrilled to be retired. You're thrilled? (laughs) What? And it's like, it's not as though they've named Autry as like an interim. This is the guy. Like they just, they were, they were really ready. Like it was not like, uh, they had a plan in place, which is the whole thing just feels weird. Yeah, it definitely was. It was handled in a very strange way. Yeah. And I think the university has to take some ownership of that. But yeah. I also think Beheim does too. Beheim could have made this much more graceful than he did. And he seemed to intentionally needle, like what he does with everything. He does yeah. this with everything he does. It, you could just ask him like, oh, what did you think of your 2-3 zone? And he'd be like, well, I didn't play a 2-3 zone. Yeah. You played a 2-3 zone. You can't just like... Why would you ask that question? You know, he just can't answer a basic question. So. Yeah, and 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 I, that's definitely gotten worse over the years. And and you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Like, I feel it's a little unfair to Adrian Autry. It's kind of like any excitement. There's this is tough. Like, you get a new coach, it should be exciting. So when Coach K went out, even with all the attention and the farewell tour and all this stuff, like there was still a good bit of excitement around John Shire. Mm-hmm. And same with, with Carolina and Hubert Davis. Like, you know, there, there's a way to do this where you're a coaching legend and being able to, sure, get the attention that you want, but also, like, clear the way for the next guy. And, and I just feel like Bayheim is mad that he didn't get the farewell tour. I don't think he would have wanted it, but see... and But that's the thing. He doesn't want it, but he's also mad he didn't get it. Or it wasn't offered to him, or I don't know. See, this is why I never had... I never had as much of a problem with the goodbye tour for Coach K because at least it gave everybody an opportunity to know what was happening. Yep. Because they tried to do this with Bayheim a few years ago. They had the three-year succession mm-hmm. plan, and then he just said, no, nah, I'm not leaving. Yeah. I'm, I'm not ready yet. Yeah. So they tried to do this with him several years ago. This is why you have those year-long things that everybody in the fan base can actually yeah. process it. People can ask their questions. Everybody well, then can you, get excited for the new coach. Exactly. Right? Like, you get your time, and then there's a clean handoff. Right. Instead of this weird, like, well, I don't know if I'm retiring. Ask the university. And also, then Adrian Autry's like, so, hey, guys, uh, I'm the coach now. And it's like this awkward thing. And and as much as I, I, like, I can't stand Jim Beheim, but, like, he deserves some kind of farewell. He's Jim Beheim. Like, I don't like Coach K that much. But He's like one of the all-time Coach K deserved wins. a farewell too. Like you know, this is yeah. Like he deserves some credit here, and it's it just seems like a weird way for a weird way for him to go out, and a weird way for Adrian Autry to come in. And I I just the vibes are bad. <laughs> like we should be able to ask questions about like what Autry's going to do moving forward. Like. Is that zone still part of the plan for Syracuse? Do they start to look a little different? Like, you know, Jim beheim has been struggling to recruit lately. How's Autry going to revitalize recruiting at Syracuse? Like, those mm-hmm. are the things we should be focused on. But instead, it's like, hey, wasn't that weird? Like, the way that this ended. <laughs> and, and, like, the poor I, – I just – I feel bad for Autry. Like, he's a Syracuse legend in his own right after having, you know, very successful career as a four-year starter at point guard under Beheim and, like – I just feel bad. I feel bad that, like, instead we're all just, like, watching this 
potentially senile old man just wander off into the <laughs> distance and like it, it's just it's just very weird. But I, I at the same time I'm glad to see him go. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I am thrilled for him not to be in the league anymore and have to listen to these press conferences, man. They're just such a bummer. I don't know. You just listen. I spent a lot of time this week listening to different coaches during the ACC tournament give their press conferences. I hate UNC more than almost yeah. anybody. Like, you and I can fight over who hates them more. Hubert Davis gives a great, thoughtful press conference and will mm-hmm. just answer any question. He's very respectful of reporters. And it's just always bothered me that Jim Beheim goes out of his way to demean people. And a great coach. But well, this is the ultimate... I'm glad it happened this way because I, as a native North Carolinian, always, like, when he was, like, railing on Greensboro and talking about, like, the AC tournament shouldn't be in Greensboro. It could be in New York City. And he had this kind of elitist take on this whole thing. Like, I took some offense to that. So, like, how cool to see him go out getting beat by a North Carolina team in Wake Forest, in Greensboro, and he's got to go out and end his career with a press conference in Greensboro Coliseum. I mean, like, he got his own back at Syracuse. But, like, to go out with this loss in the ACC tournament in the Greensboro Coliseum to a traditional, to Wake Forest, like, it would have been cooler to be state, baby. But, like, still, just, like, it's great to see, like, him go out that way when he had no respect for the tradition of the ACC Never did, right? When they came in from the Big East, like, he thought he was better than that. Turns out he wasn't, right? Like, just traditionally struggled in the ACC tournament. Like, didn't really have all that much success. So, they'd make a, every now and then make a weird tournament run. But, yeah, I don't know. Good riddance to both of them. I I think the ACC is better without Passner and Bayheim. And he lost to Wake Forest, a team he earlier this year made the... Made claims, bought their team. Well... He bought that win, Steve Forbes. <laughs> nice work, buddy. Yeah, I hope somebody, I hope somebody took Jim Beheim to Denny's after that, and that was like his famous quote, right? He's like, "Where are you even going to go to dinner in this town, Denny's?" Like, mm. Yeah, sure, buddy, you got it. It'll be interesting to see how my fandom. I have an outsized hatred of Syracuse. I think because of him, in a way that I don't with other teams that I maybe should hate more in the ACC. Like, and it's I guess it's primarily basketball based mm-hmm. but i don't really like their university and i feel like it's mostly Bayheim, and i have no yeah. negative thoughts about autry at all so maybe i'll just hate them a lot less and it is interesting how that shifts when you get coaching changes and things like that like i found myself last night when duke won like i, I was pulling for uva there's a po- small part of me that felt a duke win was technically better for state's resume since we had like a 24 point win against them and played them close in their place too but there was a moment when they won when I was just kind of like, you know, like, I don't hate this as much as I used to hate seeing Duke win. Mm-hmm. Um, because Shire is likable. And, and I, like, this Duke team is more likable than past Duke teams. And and I just think, like, it's interesting how those feelings, even rivalry feelings, evolve. Where I'm, I'm with you. Like, I have not liked Syracuse. But, like... With a leadership change, it's almost how I felt about Notre Dame football this past season. Mm. Like, I like Marcus Freeman a lot more than I like Brian Kelly. Right, sure. So, like, it made them easier to like. You'd have and, to be a sociopath not to. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just think it's interesting to kind of track those things as there's changes. And, I mean, Carolina, it literally doesn't matter who. My my, my own mother could be the coach and I would hate <laughs> them. So, like, it's, uh, 
you know, that's that's a different ball game. But yeah, I think this this Syracuse's likability just went up tenfold at least. So that's the ACC. That is the ACC, and you know, I think not terribly surprising. I mean, the semifinals were the top four seeds, right? I thought State had a chance to make a run, but what is it about Clemson that y'all can't deal with? No, I think it's actually like a. To me, it comes down to one basic thing, and and that is that when we go big and and work that post game that we haven't been working in the past, but this year, like it's there. DJ Burns and even Ebby Duana can't stay with PJ Hall and Hunter Tyson on the outside. But then if we try to go small, then they just post them up. And I just mm-hmm. think defensively, we just don't have a versatile enough big to like. Like Shedrick is for you guys. Like Hayden Shedrick is big, but he's athletic enough that he can handle some of that pick and pop stuff. Whereas I, I think that just gets us. I, I think they have enough size that can also space out. Um, that makes it difficult, and they do a good job of, of defending our guards pretty far out from the basket, which makes it difficult. And and yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's just I don't know. I think there's a mental block there sometimes too. Like, but it's been for the last few years. Like we've struggled against Clemson, so I don't really know exactly what that comes down to. But it was a bummer to see. I really was excited and thought we had a chance to make a little run, but. At the end of the day, again, that's not the tournament that matters. The one that matters is the one that I never doubted we would be in. And you're in. <laughs> we you're are in the big dance. We sure as are. As an 11 seed. We sure are. Before that's... we get too far into all the tournament breakdown, though, is there any other conference? We had a bunch of pretty exciting conference tournaments that happened. Is there anything that jumped out at you from some of those other events? I was going to lead with... The fact that Texas won after the last podcast where I suggested that there was a good chance that they would and you dismissed it. But we I can did. start somewhere else and get to that later. If no, you that's okay. I, I'll I'll own that and just say like I felt like last episode I just I tried to I think it's more that I don't care. Oh, okay. <laughs> but like yeah, I was I Thanks was, for listening, everyone. Like I was wrong, but I, no, I mean I, I it's just like the Big Twelve, like like ultimately doesn't really doesn't really matter. Like so Texas won. Kansas is still a one seed. Texas is a two seed. Like, what happened in that tournament? Just Flags it... fly forever, though. I mean, okay. I, I get it, but... Like, I, I just felt like it was like, okay, so it's... It, either way, Kansas was going to be a one, and Texas was going to be a two. Even though Texas, like, beat them convincingly. And I'm glad. I like Texas. I like Rodney Terry, their interim coach. And, and I felt like... You know, as much as I dismissed it on the episode, that probably was peek behind the curtain. Me being a little extreme for podcast purposes, like mm-hmm. it's not like I felt like Texas genuinely had no shot at that. Yeah, Pac-12 went the way we expected it to. Of course, it was Arizona UCLA. Arizona squeaked out a win. I was a little surprised by how UCLA played at the end of the game. They just couldn't. Well, they really they, had a tough time scoring. They're like one of the most injured, right. like top teams. Jalen Clark now definitely out. Um, Bona, their big is is out. They say he'll be back for for the big tournament. The um, thing that I, the, honestly my biggest takeaway from conference tournaments, the Big Ten, Penn State makes a run to the championship. Here's my thing on that: like, if your ten seed is able to run through your conference like that, I mean, I guess you could take away that that means that your whole conference is really good. But to me, I'm just like not that impressed. Like if Penn State's able to do that through some, and Ohio State made a little run too in that tournament. Like, is your conference really that good, or are they all just mediocre? It just it feels weird to me because it's the same thing that the Pac-12 and the ACC have gotten knocked for this year. 
is that the conference beat up on itself. Right. But the Big Ten did the same thing. We've just decided because of these, again, these predictive metrics that they're better. So you have a situation where, like, some of these teams get into the tournament from the Big Ten because they make a little run, like Penn State. And then we just mentioned, and again, we'll get into big tournament preview stuff a little bit later, but, like, NC State is in the tournament. Clemson beat the out of NC State three times and misses the tournament. And, again, head-to-head is not the only thing that matters, but, like... That I, I guess sometimes I'm having a hard time understanding. It feels like there's an outsized amount of respect for some other conferences that like what has really caused them to earn that if they're just playing each other. Right. So right. like ultimately it's kind of the same deal. Like your records better because you say that the teams they're playing in their conference are better <laughs> based on their efficiency metrics against those teams. Right. So that like you know what I'm saying? The metric right. just kind of builds on itself and I think it can be misleading. But, yeah, so the Big Ten, I think, was kind of my big one where I looked at it and was like, yeah, really? I don't know. Kind of underwhelming that Penn State was able to make that run and almost beat Purdue, who's supposed to be the best team. Purdue, I think, is a – and, again, I think we'll talk more about this. I think Purdue is a very vulnerable team. They haven't been playing well at the end of the season. They're very reliant on one big Mm -hmm. who is often in foul trouble – for them, like great that they won the tournament. They they looked like they struggled in every single game. Yeah, like they they could have been knocked out a number of times, and great on them for surviving all of it. But yeah, I just they they don't strike me as somebody who is that that I would be as afraid of compared to an Alabama or a Kansas or even a Houston. Right, like they just don't have I don't know they don't have the the upward trajectory at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, at this point, right, like, who, who isn't vulnerable, right? right? Alabama is probably the one that you look at and you're like, all right, that is, they're the number one overall seed. They ran through and controlled the SEC tournament. They had some slips in the regular season late, but tournament time came and they took care of business. There's not a, like, glaring weakness roster-wise. They have the off-court stuff, right? That's their biggest vulnerability right now is their off-court deal. But, like... Seems to be, I don't see anything coming up between now and the end of the tournament that's going to change that. Like, right. right. So, basketball wise, they seem to be the most complete team. Houston, how hurt is Marcus Sasser? Right. Like, if that's a long term issue, they just became a lot more vulnerable. If not, then sure they're probably right up there with Bama. But Kansas is inconsistent. Purdue, for all the reasons you just mentioned, you go into that two line and like Texas looks dangerous. I'd put them up there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's To me, it still feels like a pretty wide-open field. There's teams that are really well-tested. You know, like Gonzaga has been underwhelming this year, but they they played tough games throughout the season. Um, and their conference, I think, was better this year than in the past. I don't know. I, I, I just think it's, uh, it is wide open, and I'm pumped to see where this thing goes. Sorry, Clemson, that you won't get to participate. And even more notably, sorry, Tar Heels. Hmm. You hate to see it. You do just hate to see a team go from number one preseason to just not making it with everybody back. I think that was I. I have been very calm about UVA's run in the ACC tournament. There, that game I was very stressed about because it just seemed like everybody in the world was looking for an opportunity to get UNC in the tournament. I think if UNC wins that game, they're in. Right. They, I really do. And that was what worried me more than actually rooting for my own team. I was like, please, we can't. Don't let them in the tournament. Then they'll go on some big, mm-hmm. exciting run. Mm-hmm. No, they're gone. 
Yeah. I love it. The other thing that I've noticed, this is uh, another peek behind the curtain of the podcasting. I've now noticed that if I put in the title something about Carolina playing badly or being on the bubble or something, uh-huh. our numbers go way up. Oh, so go. if I do something thoughtful, like, you know, we talk to uh, a real live SI reporter, you know, <laughs> the, our numbers go down. People are just like, nah, But I then don't if I'm that. like, hey, Carolina sucks, it's like, ooh. Might, might <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> give them a listen. So I do think maybe we, I'm need, do that we well. need to make sure that we give the proper amount of celebration to the fact that we will not have to watch Carolina play in this tournament. Yeah, it's that, great. It just feels like such a such a wonderful, wonderful thing. But uh, on the flip side, it's not all bad. Pete Nance now has an NIL deal with Oreos, so you know. He's got that. That's not. That's you take the good with the bad. Not only is UNC not going to make the NCAA tournament, they have now turned down an invite to the NIT. Not a great look. It in, really isn't. In the humble opinion of this podcaster, who hasn't. We got to get more clicks, so we got to say more about UNC being bad. Yeah, we get look, into the tournament. So my thing is, this feels like this feels really butthurt. It feels really like oh, we didn't make it to the tournament. Like we're just gonna stay home. I. I quite honestly did not care to read the entirety of Hubert Davis's statement. I don't know, man. Like I, I, the language I used with you just now is I couldn't believe it, but like, I guess you're right. Like I can believe it. It's just, I don't know. It seems, I don't like it. The thing that strikes me as the most surprising part of it is that you would think UNC would want to do something for Armando Baycott, considering that his last game against UVA he had to sit out because his ankle wasn't in good shape now maybe his ankle is really in really worse shape and he wouldn't be able to play in the NIT but if he was able to actually go you would think that they would want to play it for him to give him an extra chance to show off his wares he's coming back man the uh I just like I know the NIT isn't the goal, but if you're a team that doesn't make the tournament, I just feel like you'd rather play in the NIT, get a chance to win that. You know, it's kind of like a hey, maybe we should have been in the tournament. Like we're pretty damn good. But I just feel like, you know, you were you were number one and now you're upset that you didn't make it, and so you're just gonna I don't know, turn down the NIT so that you can do what? Like just <laughs> imagine like the college football side of this too. Like no matter how disappointing a bowl game is, coaches go because they get extra practice time, extra prep, extra film, right? It's extra just, player it's better evaluation. for everyone. Yeah, like you get some of the younger players in. I, mean, I just don't understand. Yeah, it strikes me as very much just like we're too good for this. We're not going to do it. Yeah, and I don't know if I would feel that way if it weren't Carolina. You know, that's that's a hard like it's hard to take the bias out of it, but. It just it does feel incredibly pretentious and I don't know, but I mean like you know the flip side of it the the, the best part is now we definitely don't have to watch Carolina in any context NIT or otherwise so they're done they're just done sitting at home watching like the rest of us yeah I think it's it's hilarious to me like just that like preseason number one team go through the season feeling like. You know, they struggle, but surely they'll still make it even when they were on the bubble. And here they are, not even going to be in the NIT, which they could have been. But I just yeah. choose to think. Will they, is the, what is a CBI? Will they go to the CBI maybe? Maybe Wouldn't they're holding out for that. 
let them let them play in that. That'd be funny to me. Yeah, I just no let them. They want to focus on academics, I'm sure, and all of the the classes that they have to get people to attend for them. And <laughs> sorry, are we still are we not making jokes about that anymore? Mm. Well, the NCAA never took care of it, so right. we can we can That's clean right. that up. So yeah, good riddance to them too, right? Like. Don't have to worry about seeing them in here. And, and a, a tournament field without Carolina is, is a better one for everyone. So let's talk about the tournament. Let's do it. And a couple of surprising snubs here. You mentioned Clemson earlier. You know, I'm not going to make the case for Clemson. It does seem a little weird that they would have beaten Pitt and uh, NC State and have quality wins like that. But at the same time, they're net ranking is very low their out of conference ranking is in the 300s in terms of strength of schedule i was a little surprised not to see rutgers in there that was the one that kind of jumped out at me is the team that was you know they have wins against penn state indiana maryland but at the same time they also have some bad losses so like i i was a little surprised but i'm also not gonna go to bat for any of these teams like i'm not gonna flip out that any of these teams didn't make it in yeah i mean it just seems as much as the committee values the big 10 and the big 12 for that matter Rutgers and oklahoma state seem to be the two big you know you look at the ken palm ratings the all all the predictive metrics that seem to factor in like they're high in those but yeah i mean i think some of the bad losses hurt them and i personally am glad to see that like it seems that winning games mattered more to the committee than some of the net ratings and all that stuff. The metrics are important for some of it, but I feel like the balance, as much as I griped about it, I feel like the balance was appropriate. Because you look at a team like an Oklahoma State that, that people could make the argument for in terms of, again, all the predictive metrics look good. They're you know an efficient team with a lot of close losses against good teams and all that good stuff, but they're also 18 and 15 overall. Like, you know, how do you, you have, that has to mean something. Plus the whole thing, Mike Boynton, their coach wrote a letter on social media on Friday, basically begging the committee to put them in the tournament, saying that they were historically good in terms of how many wins that they had in the conference. Mm. Like, come on, man, that's not, that's like writing, writing your parents a letter about why they, you deserve (laughs) to have a dog or something like (laughs) that. I don't know. It just struck me as very childish. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, I I think that there are... It's just interesting when you look at some of the ratings for these teams that are in and some teams that missed it. There's teams that are in that it feels like they're super unbalanced. So their numbers look really great on either the defensive or the offensive side of the ball. And some of the teams that missed it were a little more balanced but weren't quite as elite, right, in one category. So Iowa's a perfect example of a team that... Um, in terms of offensive efficiency, they're third in the country. Defensively, they're 167th, right? So it's unbalanced, but they have something about them that is extremely high quality versus, you know, a, a Michigan that hovers around 50 in both categories. Carolina hovers around 50 in both categories. Um, Liberty, even, like, obviously, they're not quite in the same tier, but they're around 50 in both categories. And so, It's interesting to me, like, teams, and Rutgers is kind of the opposite of Iowa. Iowa's in the field, but Rutgers' defensive efficiency is is incredible, and their offensive efficiency not so much. It's interesting to see sort of what the committee seemed to value, I guess, metrics-wise, if you were really good in some way or another. 
Um, it seems like you kind of got priority over teams that were pretty good and, you know, in both on both sides of the court. Yeah, I mean, like, there's definitely – I don't think there's anything – I think Rutgers, Clemson, probably are the only teams that have really strong cases for, like, an egregious snub. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing else that seems – nothing seems too, too bad um, in terms of, like, oh, that team really should have been in there. Like, there were a couple of bid stealers that just didn't quite perform in their conference tournament, like Cincinnati and the American – yeah, I mean, this seems like a solid field, I think. Uh, it's clear the committee really didn't value too much about com- uh, a conference tournament performance, I think. See, I always wonder about that because some in some years they've said it's really important, but they also have to build this bracket. And they have tournaments that are going on on Sunday, yeah. right? A couple hours before this thing is released. And they have all these things that they have to figure out. So I really feel like they have to make decisions and kind of slot teams before then and then maybe they can maybe move somebody up or down or change location but i really feel like there's that much work you have to do you you can't wait until the end of the conference tournaments to do it there was an announcement i saw on twitter last night that they had the bracket bracket was filled out in terms of the field was complete and then then it was you know scrubbing out some final seating and putting some people where they needed to be based on what would happen in those last few games right so obviously it probably changes if if Penn State beats Purdue today or, you know, Houston, if Houston had beaten Memphis, you know, they still had a one seed, but maybe Memphis, maybe their seed is a little bit different, right? So I think they do figure out a lot of it. I mean, I, I've heard in the past that by the Wednesday before Selection Sunday, they usually have most of the field figured out and there's just some some details that need working out. So yeah, let's, let's get into it. Let's look at this field a little bit and kind of t- break it down. You know, we've both said... We don't want to, like, do a bracket. Right. I'm not doing a bracket. But I, I, I'm unsure. I said I wasn't going You're to. You're already backing out of I'm backing, I'm backing out a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But but I do want to look at, I kind of want to look at each region and and think about a few interesting things. So let's do this. Let's look at each region and let's look at, based on the, the lines that are out right now, you know, best bet, first round best bet. Um, let's look at potential Cinderella's from each region. Uh, in other words, big upsets. So we, we don't have to project out big, deep runs, but at least first-round upsets. Game we think is most exciting, and then who ultimately we think is going to win the region. Yeah. It's so a, that sounds good. All right. Uh, let's start with let's start with the Midwest. Oh, you don't want to start with the South, where both of our teams no, are, are going on a yeah. going on a clash course for the lead eight. That's why I'm saving that. Okay. One. All right. So we're going to the Midwest. Midwest. So Midwest, uh, top seed is Houston. Texas is the two. This is, uh, I think, meh. I don't know. This 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 region doesn't really excite me at first glance. My interesting matchup is kind of a lame one because it's the 8-9 game. You just mentioned Iowa and their high-powered offense shoot a lot of threes. And Auburn is maybe the best team in the country at defending against three-pointers, which is why they had some measure of success against Alabama, too. They're going to be playing in Birmingham, even as the nine seed. Mm-hmm. So they get an opportunity to play in front of a lot of their fans, but also a lot of Alabama fans that are going to be there. So that will be an interesting dynamic as well. And it should be an even game between the two. So I think that's probably my favorite game that I'm looking forward to in that region. You had a reaction to that one even as it was announced. We, were, we had the selection show up, and you like saw that one, and I saw your eyes get big. 
I think the game in this region that intrigues me the most is, and this is a little tough to project, but um, I think it's that 6-11 game. Um, and the 11 is a play-in. I'm sorry, we're not calling that anymore. The first round game between Mississippi State and Pitt. The winner of that will play Iowa State. I personally project that out to be Pitt. ACC bias maybe, but I think a Pitt-Iowa State game projects out as a lot of fun. Um, just in terms of, again, like like you're kind of saying, thinking about stylistically, this is you know a Pitt team that gets a lot of shots up. They, they don't play like super fast on a national scale, but it's a, it's a really good offensive team. And I think the way they project out in a matchup um, with Iowa State, which is kind of a pretty highly rated team in terms of the metrics defensively, and they play a pretty slow-paced game, it's interesting to see like how those two teams will match up. And again, great offensive team versus a really good defensive team. What does that look like? Yeah, I, I like the Pitt-Iowa State. It's sort of a matchup of teams that have built their programs on transfers uh, for this year. Yeah, I, I think that game projects out to be as a fun one with the, the A&M-Penn State 7-10 game right behind it. Yeah, that one, Texas A&M seems a little low to me based on how well they've been playing lately and making it to the SEC championship. And then you run into Penn State, which almost won the Big Ten championship. Like, that is a tough matchup as yeah. a 7-10 draw for them. In terms of upsets... I think you got to watch out for Kent State against mm-hmm. Indiana. I know you've been a big Indiana guy, but they've won 10 out of their last 11 games. Now, granted, it was in the MAC, so maybe not the toughest competition, but in their early season games out of conference, they lost to Charleston by two, they lost to Houston by five, and they played Gonzaga close uh, on the road, only losing by seven. So competitive against three of their absolute toughest opponents. So I don't think that they're going to be a team that is going to be pushed around by Indiana. They have a really strong defense. Uh, they force a lot of turnovers. They're a top 20 team in terms of how many turnovers they force. And that's just kind of, I don't know. I I could see if that's the one that jumps out at me is maybe the biggest potential upset outside of like a, you know, a nine eight game or something like that yeah i i don't see a true like cinderella big upset in this region so i'm going to go with penn state over texas a&m i know 10-7 is not a massive upset by any stretch of the imagination but i just i can't talk myself into the other ones kent state would be the one that i would be most into which is interesting because based on the lines that's not the one that vegas sees as the most likely um we'll get there in a second but i just uh, you know penn state just made this run to the big 10 tournament and uh, you know, I think that if we're to believe that the Big Ten is as good as all the numbers say they are, then that means Penn State's pretty damn good. Uh, Texas A&M, kind of inconsistent. They've been playing well recently, but I don't fully trust them. So I'm going with the the, the, the 10-7 upset Penn State over Texas A&M. I also think that there's a decent chance that if Mississippi State beats Pittsburgh, I think they, their defense would be a really tough matchup with Iowa State. That would be the one... The other one in Greensboro, too. So, you know, that actually might be a closer game. More fans of Mississippi State there than Iowa State uh, coming all the way down to Greensboro. Yeah. Their metrics are pretty good. Like, they're a top 50 team in Ken Palm. So I could see that being the other one. At Mississippi State, it wouldn't surprise me for the, to see them win a couple games yeah. out of this. I, I like that 11 
first round game, Mississippi State and Pitt, like those are two tough teams. And I think the winner of that stands a chance to make some noise. Looking at this Midwest region, I think my favorite bet in the first round, this feels to me like a McGraw smelly line. You're going to run to it. But how in the world is Miami only favored by two and a half over Drake? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, that's you're, what... you're going to run to that, aren't you? I am, but I'm going to run to Miami. Okay. Like, I think, I think Miami is going to win that. That's one of those teams. No one has watched Drake play. They're a very good team. Yeah. No one wanted to play them for good reason, and I think it will be a very close game. But to win by three points, you could play a really nail-biting, gruesome, stressful game and still win by three with like free throws at the end. And I think Miami, because of their guard play, because of Isaiah Wong, I think that they are going to get that game done. I don't know how far they'll go. It wouldn't surprise me to see them actually give Houston a game if they could make it to the Sweet 16. But... Yeah, that, that is the one that I'm picking. Miami over Drake. Just yeah. don't think, don't blink. Miami's the better team. I'm right there with you. I think that line is almost like preying on people who, you know, the the mythology of the 12-5 upset. They just know everybody's, you know, everybody wants to ride that and, and pick it. But, like, I'm not going to lie to you and say that I've watched a bunch of Drake basketball this year, but there's just no way. There's no way. I've seen Miami and, like, we say Drake is good. Like I'm looking at the numbers and like based on what? Like they don't look that good. Like they're they're fine, but they're also in the Missouri Valley Conference. Like who are they? You know they're not playing. So you beat Bradley. Like mm-hmm. I'm just not that impressed. In Miami, like I've that is a good team. That is a good team with good guard play, which matters in March. So I uh, like that Miami minus two and a half. Who are you picking to come out of the region? Yeah. Some of this is a little bit dependent on the health of Marcus Sasser, right? right? So they say that he's likely to be back, but groin injuries are nagging, and you just never know. So because of that question mark, give me Texas, the two seed coming out of the Midwest. Yeah, me too. Especially with the Final Four being in Texas too. That'd be a good story. It's in Houston, so Houston going would also be a good story, but... Yeah, I'm also worried about Sazer. He's so important to that team. Yeah. They cannot, they really cannot make the final four if he is not good to go. He says he'll be at 100%. But like you said, it's tough to know at this point. And Texas is hitting their stride at the exact right moment. And they're tested. They're coming out of the conference that everybody agrees is the best conference in the country. They want it. How fun second round, though. Texas, Texas A&M. Oh, my goodness. Give it to me. That is the game that I want. Yeah, I hope so the Penn State upset, upset does not happen for that purpose. Right. But I, I, I like it to happen. Like, I think it will. But, yeah, Texas, Texas A&M. Whew. Good job, committee. I love it when the committee puts that together as, yeah. like, oh, man. It's like when we Perfect. ended up with Carolina Duke Final Four last year. When things just happen, I mean, that's a little different. But just when it shakes out perfectly, you got to love it. All right. So that's the Midwest. Where are we going next? Let's go. Let's go west. All right. Let's go out west. So I think... I think this region is brutal. This one is pretty tough. So UCLA is the team that I've been picking all year. Didn't win the Pac-12 championship, just barely. Mm -hmm. A little banged up here entering. You've got Kansas with Bill Health. Bill Health. (laughs) He wishes. A clean Bill of Self. (laughs) Bill Self struggling with health issues. So it seems like he's going to be poised to come back. You got UConn in there as a four, which was one of the teams that I thought could make a final four. Mm-hmm. St. Mary's is no slouch as a five either. Oh. 
And then you've got Gonzaga just hanging around. Not their best Gonzaga team. Not a one seed. But not their worst. But not their worst they played a They played a tough non-conference schedule this year and did fairly well with it. This is a team that, I mean, they beat Alabama. Like, that was a long time ago. But still, like, this is a tough Gonzaga team. This region, up and down, I look at it and, like, okay, I'm not real scared of Howard. And I'm probably not scared of UNC Asheville. So the 15 and 2, or 15 and 16, I'm not that scared of. The rest of it, I'm not writing any of it off. This, this, I think this is like the region of death here. Definitely agree. The, the game, the first round game that I'm most interested in, I'll go ahead and package it because it's also my upset pick. St. Mary's VCU. That mm. 5-12 game, I'm a little biased because I coached a player on the VCU team, but the, the, I just, I don't know, man. That, that to me, jumps out as a massive game for two, um, I guess they both count as mid-major programs um, that have had some success in March. Um, St. Mary's looking to build, like have, have more success than they've had in the past. You know, VCU obviously has made its own Cinderella run before. I just think that game shape just play style like there's gonna be some points in that game and there's some dynamic playmakers ace baldwin for vcu is one of the best guards in the country and give me vcu in that game but i i can't wait to watch it the game i'm most interested in is the arkansas illinois game because those are two teams that i think again in any given day they can beat anybody in the country you yeah. said at the beginning of the year that arkansas was going to be one of the teams that i thought made the final four illinois has just Played hot and cold all year. So I'm really interested in that game. I'm also interested in UConn and Iona playing in Albany. That is just a cool vibe right there. That place That's, is going to be going crazy. It's going to be a wild atmosphere. And Iona is a scary team. That's a team... I, UVA was a four and looked into who they might play. And Iona was on my list of, please do not have UVA matched yeah. up against Iona and Rick Patino. So... Yeah, I think if UConn can get out of that game, they actually have a pretty good run to get to the Sweet 16. But, ooh, man, that's a tough first game in Albany. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Yeah, I think the the Arkansas-Illinois game is interesting because I think that's the 8-9 game most likely to provide a upset of the one. So uh, like one of those two teams beating Kansas I see as something that while maybe not likely, is totally reasonable to expect. When I look at this region, I'm thinking about bets that I like. There's a couple that jump out to me. That UConn-Iona game, Iona getting 9.5 points, mm. seems really tempting. Like I just see that as a close game. So that one jumps out to me, but, but Northwestern as the 7th seed, getting a point as an underdog, seems odd. Yeah, Boise State. The metrics love Boise State. The metrics do love Boise State. And I've had several bets in a row that I ended up losing with Northwestern. But they, after playing really, really well, they've fallen off. They've lost four out of their last five games. I don't know. I could see it. I could see Boise State winning that game. If I was betting one of them, if Northwest, like just one point, it's probably not enough to do it for me for Northwestern, like getting just one point for them. But I think I think the Iona plus nine and a half is the thing that jumps out to me. Is like I'm probably going to hammer that bet. Mm. I may tease it with something, but but it I don't know. Even nine and a half feels good to me. I'm going to bet Arkansas. They're 
I'm just going, I'm leaning into my preseason intuitions on this regardless. Arkansas is only a three-point favorite in that 8-9 game against Illinois. I think they just have better players overall on the whole roster. So I'm going to take them as my my biggest bet out of the region. I mentioned Boise State. I actually like them over Northwestern, even though I seemingly will always bet against Northwestern. I'm interested to see which 11 seed gets out of that play-in game between Arizona State and Nevada, because either team, I think, is going to give TCU a really, really tough game. It wouldn't surprise me to see what that line looks like and maybe just bet that team straight up, actually, because I I could see that 11 seed winning. I think if it's Arizona State, I trust it more. If it's Arizona State is one of my darling teams. It's just like, I like the way they play. They seem to always be in it. Right, you know, so if the line were, you know, a little too big, like if it seemed like they were given TCU five and a half, six and a half points, like I'm taking Arizona State there. Um, I also kind of like Grand Canyon plus 16 and a half. I watched them and that kid, Harrison, I think is his last name, their guard who went for like 31, eight and eight in their conference championship game. Like how many times have we seen, you know, a team with one guard who's just capable of putting up crazy numbers, giving a run. I like this Gonzaga team, but 16 and a half is a lot of points. Mm-hmm. And I think Grand Canyon capable of getting in there. I wouldn't take them straight up, but covering 16 and a half, possibly. I think the West, again, it's a brutal region, but it's got some super compelling matchups. So who, so who are you taking to get out of this brutal mess? Yeah, so crazy region, and I think that... It's this is a tough one for. I think I have to answer with some conditions, right? UCLA has health concerns. Obviously, Jalen Clark is not coming back. He's got an Achilles, so that would be insane. Bona, they're big. Like if he's back, that maybe makes a difference. But all of that being said, even though I expect it to be close in that first round, I expect Grand Canyon to cover minus or that plus sixteen and a half. I actually like Gonzaga to come out of the region. Wow. It would be it would be the most Gonzaga thing ever to be the overlooked team and actually come out of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think like you've got a player in Drew Timmy that's been there and is capable of producing at a crazy level. You've got a coach that's been there and knows how to guide them through it. You've got guard play that it's inconsistent, but when it's good, it's good. And this team has played tournament teams all season. Like their conference is not the strongest, but their non conference schedule they played tournament teams. I, I just I like I like them there. I have a really tough time picking against UCLA because I've been on their case, hammering, hammering them so for two health months. Right now, but though. they really do have a lot of health problems. So you know what? I'm gonna go. Uh, Are you gonna go chalky here? No, rock I'm gonna, chalk. No, I'm not gonna go rock chalk. I'm gonna pick UConn. Okay. I'm gonna pick UConn. I think that they have they have all of the pieces to be successful. That doesn't mean that they'll necessarily win, but they have just. They have one of the best offenses in the country. They rebound the ball incredibly well. They're the best offensive rebounding team in the entire country. And they play pretty good defense. I was a little disappointed by how they played against Marquette, but it was you know just a two-point loss. It's not a bad loss. Yeah, I'm, I think that's, that's the one that will be the surprise. If somebody other than UCLA comes out, I think it'll be UConn for me. I so hate it's, that though. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it, and and I I like UCLA a lot. I've watched. I feel like I've watched them a ton recently, um, and I'm a big fan of theirs. Tiger Campbell and Jaime Jaquez are some of my favorite players 
it's it's a great team to watch and I think you know obviously we're we both kind of went past the one seed um I think I just think Kansas is probably the most likely one seed to get upset within the first two rounds obviously probably in the second round because ones just don't lose the 16s but hey keep those keep that smirk <laughs> off your face but uh at the same time, if they're able to get through that, like, yeah, I mean, I think Kansas is obviously capable of winning their region. It's just like, you just never know quite what Kansas team you're going to get. There is a bad Kansas team. And right. and I just think this region is tough. And, and if, if they don't show up, you know, Gonzaga is battle-tested. UCLA is battle-tested if if they're healthy enough. If, if Bona's playing, yeah, then I think that changes things. But um, and again, UConn's t- like it's, this region. I would. I am so glad that my team is not in it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Arkansas get past Kansas. That's my. That's my big upset in yeah, the in I the region. I can yeah. see it. All right, to the east. Let's go east. I have my upset pick. This one jumped out at me watching the brackets. That this one seemed like instant, instant one that I'm going to pick, and maybe I'm not the only one. Louisiana yeah, yeah. against Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee is not playing well. They just lost their point guard and Ziegler to injury. They get to play in Orlando, which is kind of neutral for both of those mm-hmm. schools. So it's not a huge advantage for Tennessee. I think you'll definitely see more Tennessee fans. Yeah, there. I mean, just because there are more Tennessee fans, basketball fans, right? But yeah, that one that one jumps out right off the page as the upset in this bracket. Agreed. That would probably be my pick as well, but I'll go different just because there is another one okay. that I think could happen. And just to give us another thing, hot, hot take alert. Vermont over Marquette. Yeah, Vermont's been playing so well. I mean, the thing is Vermont has been playing well. Vermont has been like, you could put them in your tournament bracket in December. Like you just, the last decade it feels like, they're going to be there. So... They they know they know <laughs> they know what that's like, right? And Marquette, God, Marquette is like one of those top teams that I just don't trust. And I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, they were picked to to not do super well at the beginning preseason. And they've obviously played really well, but I just feel like if I'm looking for a big upset here, this one just it jumps out to me as as I've seen. I've just watched Marquette twice in the last week or so. Struggle with St. John's, and to me, they just they look they look incredibly vulnerable. And so Vermont as a 15 seed, the fighting, they just won the the fighting Big Bernie East Sanders, they yeah, won. but barely. Okay, but they they, they limped to that finish. And the Big East also, sorry, but the Big East is not what it used to be. That's true. Marquette has a great record. They get to play Georgetown. Well. I'm sorry <laughs> to your wife. But, like, that conference is not, like, we can look at the Big East and think about the history of it, but, like, that conference is not good. It's not. I I mean, I I get that. I would also say that the America East is not the best conference either. Of course not. Vermont has been able to just clean everyone's clock. They still have losses against New Hampshire and UMass Lowell. They lost to Long Beach State. They lost to Yale by almost 30 points. They're a 15 seed. I'm not, this isn't, like... Oh my God, they're favored. Right but it's there. also like, I mean, Vegas doesn't think it's crazy. It's no, the tight, it's, it's the tightest line of the fifteen-two games. They're the best of the fifteen seeds. Definitely. Exactly. So, yeah. it, like, you asked me for an upset. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I think Louisiana Tennessee is the, is a lot more likely to happen. Providence over Kentucky is a lot more likely to happen. 
We're looking for the long shots. We're looking for the crazy, like, Vermont over Marquette. I'm just saying, like, it is, it's not something that I would dismiss. It's something that I think is worth considering. If you're thinking about, like, hey, here's a long shot that I want to put some money down on. You know, it's, it's something that, to me, merits some consideration as a, well, now it's a, it's a ten and a half. Minus one hundred two odds, like money line four sixty. Let's just let's go for it. Four sixty. Give me that. Give me give me those long odds. The the line I like a little bit better is Montana State as the fourteen seed. Mm. That is a a team that has a. They Kansas shoot. State's a Big Twelve team, man. They're invincible. Oh, that's right. They've they've they're going to be beaten up, having played the toughest competition. Oh, there is. that's the now that's how the narrative turns. Yeah, exactly. Because that's this is my favorite thing. As we've been, you know, we talk about how great the Big Twelve is, and if you look over the last several years, they've had very little success in March. But maybe that's why right. they're so good that they're all beaten up against each other all that's season. Right. That's right. They have one of the best free throw attempts per field goal attempts. Montana State does. Montana State. Okay. They have they they can get to the line a lot. I have no real like insight into who they are. I just think Kansas State, having watched a number of their games, they're a little bit vulnerable. Like vulnerable. They they have they have games where they just really struggle to score. And even though they have overperformed what their expectations are, and Keontae Johnson has been great for them. I mean, th- their preseason expectations were m- much further down in the Big 12. They finished the year losing on the first game against TCU pretty handily. They lost to West Virginia the last game of the regular season. And they had a stretch in the middle. They Again, they were playing good teams, but they had four losses in five games. I just think it's not out of the realm of possibility. That would be another one. So this may be the most like upset likely bracket yeah. or region, perhaps. So, so looking at it. What bet are you taking? The one that struck me that I'm not going to take this bet, the fact that Duke opened as a seven-point favorite against Oral Roberts, and it's already come down to six. So that means people are betting Oral Roberts. And if you look at Ken Palm, Ken Palm has it as like a three-point game between the two of them. That one's kind of eye-arching, but I don't, just having seen Duke play, I just don't think I can talk myself into it. Having said that, uh, Oral Roberts... So they have Aismas, who's one of the best scorers and a senior, who's played in big games in the NCAA tournament, upset Ohio State as a 15 last year, two years ago? Two years ago. Two years ago. This is the team that hasn't lost. They've lost one game since Thanksgiving. One. They have the best effective field goal percentage, or the best turnover percentage in the country, and seventh in effective field goal, because Aismas shoots the ball so well. Again, I, I can't talk myself into it, but I look at the numbers and I'm like, mm, I can see it. They're playing like Fluvanna County High School. Like they're <laughs> like so this is my They thing. did beat St. Thomas in the Summit oh, League tournament. My God. So like this is what we do, right? We see these teams with their numbers and it looks so good, but they're not playing anybody and Duke just made a run through the ACC tournament. And I know that everybody around the country wants to tell me that the ACC is down. That's fine. Try putting St. Thomas in the damn ACC. Try putting Oral Roberts in the ACC. They're having a worse season than Louisville. I can almost promise you. Six, six and a half points, whatever it's at. That's insane to me. The Blue Devils are my pick. I'll jump ahead. They're my pick to win this region. Mm. 
So if you've got me at only six points against Oral Roberts, give me Duke. I'm not happy about it, but give me Duke. Team that I'm going to pick for my bet is Kentucky. Okay, I think I like Kentucky that. is. Hopefully, they have they're healthy for this game. They're they have all the talent in the world. Shibwe has played in big games. I think that they will just intangibly play better than last year, given how big of an upset they faced. Mm-hmm. They they will be highly motivated to not embarrass themselves. And Providence has not played super well. They have played really poor defense to end just the got season. Blown out by Seton Hall at the end of the right. Yeah. They played a horrendous half of basketball against UConn and almost came back in the second half, but just horrendous in the first half. So that that's my pick. And Kentucky, I I mm, they're a team that I could see going far, especially if I'm picking Montana State as a possible upset. I could see Kentucky making a run here and maybe getting all the way to the Elite Eight. If they're healthy, for sure. I'm not sold on any of the teams in this area. Like, that's that's the problem. Like, when we talked about the West being, like, five, six teams that could easily do it. Like, I feel like this is the situation that will benefit Purdue, even though they have not played well. Yeah. I could see them getting, like, a Purdue-Kentucky Elite Eight game mm. and Purdue squeaking in just because they're the... Probably the most complete team in this. Zach Eady gets Shebway and foul trouble, and yeah, yeah that's so. I'm gonna pick Purdue. I don't love it. I don't like it at all. But that's who I'm going. There's another. There's another eight, eight, nine game here that I love. Memphis and FAU. Mm. Memphis just beat uh, Houston in the American Championship game after beating the brakes off of UAB in the semifinal, and they're a fun team. They can really play. FAU, I hadn't watched much, but I caught them in their conference tournament. It was really a hoot. (laughs) (laughs) Aha! Get it? Yeah, yeah. The Owls. But, yeah, I still, I just like, I like Duke here. I've liked Duke to make a March run since November. I mean, I said it in the preseason. Like, I I just think this team is putting it together. They're they're under-seeded based on how good they really are. I understand, I mean, their seed makes total sense based on the full resume, but... Yeah, I, I I like Duke here. The I do think the Memphis FAU game is the game I'm most excited to watch. And that leaves us with the South. Anything? Which, yeah, there's nothing to worry about here. Let's we'll just go ahead and pencil NC State and UVA in the Elite Eight. Listen, man, I would love that. And Louisville, we both had success in Louisville. We can do it. I uh, I think. Look, can we just go ahead and say right now if. NC State and Virginia are playing each other in the Elite Eight in Louisville. We're going. We'll, we'll be there. We'll, we'll make be, it happen. We'll do a live broadcast. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll be there streaking through the streets of Louisville. <laughs> I, like, we would have already, to me, that's we've already won. It's hard, this, this region's hard for me to look at objectively because I want my team so badly to, like, make a run. I think in terms of upsets, looking at this region... You know I love Charleston. Mm-hmm. I've been talking them up. God, it's so hard not to be a homer and say, look at that five and a half point line against the Creighton team that defensively is is not the team that we're I think used to seeing from Creighton. Um, the numbers, I mean, they love them, um, but it's still not quite that like lockdown team that that I think we're used to. I, I you know. I'm not going to pick us for the for the big upset, but I do think it's not terribly unlikely. I'm going to go ahead and ride with my gut, and I'm going to go ahead and go Charleston here. Mm-hmm. 
Charleston over San Diego State. They're they're four and a half point underdogs. Yeah, I could see that and wouldn't mind it. I I think so from a UVA perspective, they get Furman in the first round mm-hmm. and then have to play the Charleston San Diego State second round. UVA is certainly capable of losing to any of those teams, and they have a lot of wins between the three of those schools. In terms of who they could have gotten paired against, like I, I like the setup for UVA. There, oh yeah, honestly, oh, like yeah. I, again, I'm not, I'm not penciling them in all the way through. It's just you know you could have gotten paired with some really difficult teams, and I think on the spectrum, I would, I will take my chances with any of those three mm-hmm. teams. So. The game I'm most interested in is the West Virginia-Maryland game because I, yeah, just to see your reaction mostly. I think West Virginia has been playing some of the best basketball of their season here in the last couple weeks, basically since you besmirched their good name. Maryland has a lot of talent on their roster, but I'm not convinced how good they are. So I think it'll be a really good game. My upset pick, I'm going to take Utah State, which isn't a huge upset, but I could see them winning against Missouri and then uh, possibly even giving Arizona a tight game out in Sacramento, not too far away. So that's my upset pick. I think my bet of the bracket here, this is one of the ones that, you know, you never like to bet those huge lines in games because, you know, anything could happen in these games get really tight. Arizona being like a 14 and a half point favorite against Princeton. Princeton had a great Ivy League tournament, but they are not the more, most formidable of these 15 seeds, I think. Yeah. So, And Arizona can score in bunches. Yeah. And just won the Pac-12. So that's my game that I just see as a blowout. Like, I think Arizona is going to cover that easily. They'll be able to win by, like, 30. So, well, and they're, they're dominant inside. Right. Which just doesn't feel like a good Ivy League matchup. I totally agree. I think I like that line a lot. As in, like, I think it's way too low. Right. I also like the Virginia line. I don't know. I Virginia do too, but I don't. Five? I feel. I feel. You know, after watching them play, struggle to score. It's one of those things that you you worry about. But I like it too, honestly. Like five points Against again. The dins. You could have a really, really competitive game, and you make your free throws at the end of the game in the last two minutes and cover five points easily. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels like a small line. Uh, here's what I know: West Virginia probably going to beat Maryland. I hope so. And then. Uh, Whatever the line is against Alabama in the next round, West Virginia is going to cover it. They're going to have a close loss, and those those people are going to be talking for decades <laughs> about how they came so close to winning, and the metrics are going to love it. And that's the Nick Saban Bowl right there, yeah. at West Virginia and true. Alabama. That's true. You know, I don't think we have to talk about what game we're most excited about because it's probably our team's games. I'm not excited about it. I'm on. Oh. I'm on pins and needles. Like I, I feel like it's going to the dentist. Watching I, mean, I get your it. team play. I I, get it. I hope they do well. I'm obviously going to watch, and I'm like happy that they're in the tournament. But man, those two hours. Yeah, God, there's nothing more stressful in your life. But it's also it's 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 the thing you want all season, right? So, to me, I love it. I, I this was a team that we revisited state as an 11 seed in the NCAA, NCAA tournament. I thought we might be at best an 11 seed in the ACC tournament. Mm. So at this point, it is house money. It is icing on the cake. The fact that I'm going to get to enjoy an an NC State NCAA tournament game, you know, maybe they play like they did against Clemson and they get blown out, and I'm not going to enjoy it. At least we were there, you know. Like I'll, I'll take it. 
um, at this point, which is sad, but I'll take it. Winning the region, I got Alabama. I do too. I think it's going to be Alabama and Baylor. Those are my two, Baylor and the Elite Eight. Yeah, I mean, how do you bet against Alabama with how they're playing? Yeah. Like, they they are clearly, to me, the best team in the country. Best player in the country. Yeah. I hate it. but And they also get to play in Birmingham the first two rounds. Louisville, that's not far at all. So they're going to have really, really big home crowds. But at the same time, because of the off-court stuff... Every other fan base is going to be very anti-Alabama. That's true. And they have to play, like I said earlier, they're going to have to play in front of Auburn fans in the first two rounds. Yeah. With our, so, yeah, that that will create an interesting dynamic. But they're coming out of that region. Yeah, Baylor, Baylor hasn't played well recently, but they have the young talent with Keontae George to get through, get through. I think they could do it. I think this will be the chalkiest region. I think it's one of the top four seeds. I, I just don't see the others as having the power to get all the way through versus like in the other regions we've been looking at, you know, five seeds and yeah, I guess we looked at a two seed in the Midwest and Texas, but in the West we were looking at like Yukon as a four seed and like Arkansas making a run as an eight seed. So I think this is the one where I look at the one seed in Alabama and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's just, they are, they're the overall one seed for a reason. I don't think UVA could beat Alabama, but I think it would be a challenging game because Alabama relies so heavily on pushing the ball in transition, yep. and UVA just refuses to allow teams to do that. And UVA has such a great history in Louisville. I, I want to see it. Like I would, I would love to go. If the UVA makes the Sweet 16, I'm going to have a hard time not going. Yeah. Even if I think they're going to lose against Alabama. That's fair. I mean, I if State's there, I'm probably going as well. So, All right. um, Louisville, here we come. It's within dropping distance. It's only like six hours from yeah. here. Yeah, we can do it. Yeah. I think we save talking about overall champion. Yeah, we can save it when we have, you know, the final four, and then we only yeah. have one of four teams to choose from. I feel no need to try to project out from here. Otherwise, I mean, if I had to, go FAU. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> obviously kidding. But, no, I mean, I look forward to the chaos. I think this week's going to be going to be wild. I think that... Um, this this thing's pretty wide open at this point. Yeah, strong agree. I would not be surprised to see a ton of upsets in the first round. I also wouldn't be surprised to see a fairly chalky first round mm. and then a ton then of upsets crazy. in the second round, right? right? Where like eight seeds are beating one seeds or something like that. Like that would not surprise that, me either. That, that makes sense. Yeah, I can totally see that. Well, I will be in Sacramento for... Seeing UCLA and Arizona and some other teams in person. Missouri. So Missouri and Utah State. I may have to place a large bet on that game and just be really amped up while I'm watching the UVA game on my phone. Right. Since they'll be playing concurrently. So I'll be here uh, watching from your, my, your day job. My fortress of... Well, you know, I would never admit to doing that on air. <laughs> but... Definitely on Friday, I'll be watching all day at home. So there you go. I will be enjoying that. And, and uh, look, I, you know, bet responsibly. I feel like we have to say that. Yeah. Only bet what you can afford to win or lose is my Sabermetrics advice that I always give out. That's Betting right. Betting should be fun. If it's stressful, then don't do it. And bet what's fun. That's right. I heard a line recently. I think it was uh, Katie Nolan. Don't, uh, don't turn recess into homework. Mm. Right? So sports is supposed to be fun. Don't make sports and, and betting on sports something that is a you know point of stress in your life other than like the usual fan stress. But 
don't make it don't like have you know financial stresses over it unless you're betting on nc state in which case go for it all we, in we'll never let you down survive sure. in advance baby well clemson's not in so you don't have to worry about that that's right play clemson in the first round no thanks We've seen it, seen enough of Brad Brownell's face for the year. Yeah, Creighton. Although the name is similar enough to Clemson, maybe our players mm-hmm. will get scared and lose, just forfeit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see how many DJ Burns post ups we get, and it's going to be a blast. I can't wait to see DJ Burns post on Twitter copies sure. clips clips of him and fouls that weren't called against him. What a power all. move! I love it. None of them were wrong. <laughs> I just wish players would do that every game. There'd be so many clips posted on Twitter of like, yeah, they should have called this. They should have called, like, yeah, officials get stuff wrong, man. Like, it was funny. I'm like, whatever. But, uh, yeah, DJ Burns is a must-follow on Twitter. If it, was, if it wasn't him, if it was somebody else, I just know he's, like, an affable, hilarious he's guy to follow. But Probably it, the most likable player in the country. If it was somebody else, I probably would have a lot. Yeah, like if Kyle Filipowski was doing that. Yeah, that wouldn't play well with me. Armando Baycott starts. <laughs> Caleb Love. No. Yeah, no thanks. No. No thanks. Well, that is it, and I am excited for the games this week. If you have upset picks or chalky picks, you can submit them to preferredwalkons at yahoo.com. I don't know why you would do that. I mean, you could actually just you know fill out a bracket and submit it for somebody. Like, we're not going to give out a prize or anything. But you could. You could send us your picks. Or we'll shout you out if you've got some great picks that yeah. come true. Sure. You know, if you have comments, if you're out there and you're Josh Pastner and you got nothing better to do at this point, you know, Lord knows you're not busy. I saw somebody post on Twitter that my, uh, Tom Crean and Josh Pastner have to start a podcast together. And I'm oh, all in. Man. I'm all in. I wouldn't listen to it. Oh, I would listen to it every single episode. That would be you're chaos. A masochist. Yeah. I would all over that. Zero chance of me listening to that. I would follow that podcast just like you can follow this podcast. Nice. Yeah, nice. You like that segue? Yeah, that was good. Uh, At any of the places that podcasts are distributed. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, any of those other ones. Yeah, man. We're all over. And we'll let you know. We'll be the first people to tell you if Josh Pastner's podcast comes out. Oh, we will. That's right. I'm looking forward we're, to the, we're having an emergency the podcast. The Jim Beheim podcast. Uh, I think he just, that's just him lecturing the mirror. Yeah. I would, that I would listen to. Yeah. Mm. Thanks, Jimmy, for the memories. We'll catch you later.